0: Hi, this is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, and you're listening to the Fairy and Fantasy Class.
1: Welcome to Fairy and Fantasy, episode 33. Today's subject is Peter Beagle's classic fantasy novel, The Last Unicorn, chapters 9 through 11.
0: So, I want to start today with what we didn't do last time, which is talking about the Red Bull. Now, we conveniently have learned a good deal more about him this time. But I want to go back to... I want to start with the encounter with the Red Bull that we get, and then also incorporate the several things that we learn about him later on. Um, When I ask about the Red Bull, I want to sort of recognize at the beginning, he is a rather mysterious figure. That is, I'm not... When I ask, like, you know, what is the Red Bull and how does it work in this story... um, we are going to you know we are going to be speculative. I don't want you to think that there are like simple obvious answers that I'm expecting you to come up with and we'll be disappointed if you don't. Um, let's start with observations. What is in, what is important about the red ball? Give me some facts about him. Aaron?
1: he's blind.
0: He's blind. Yeah and it's really we don't learn that right away. But that only becomes clear during the course. Of the fighting, he is blind, or his sort of encounter—not exactly fight—his his encounter uh, with the unicorn. Um, he's blind, and his—and despite his blindness, has this unerring uh, targeting <laughs> mechanism, right? I mean, he's he, he's able to 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 focus in on the unicorn, get himself in front of her wherever she goes. Uh, he was able to hunt out <laughs> unicorns in other places. It seems, you know, Haggard speaks of sending the black bull or the red, excuse me. <laughs> a little, uh, oh, no. Sorry, a little slip there. The red bull out <laughs> after uh, uh, um, the unicorns, and then he could have sent them out after anything that he wanted to. Um, and yet, yeah, he's blunt. I agree. I, I think that that's a really interesting, uh, a really interesting. Point about him. What else? Other things about him. Just stuff you remember. Little details. Uh, there's nothing so important as little details. Yeah. He's
1: very large, but we don't exactly know how big he is. At some points, he sounds like larger than a normal bull, but then at other times, he's
0: humongous. Yes. Yeah. His size does seem to vary. There are t- At the end of the encounter with the unicorn, he he had. Swollen to, like, mountainous proportions, it seems. Um, he becomes absolutely immense. Um, but I agree, his, his size is not
2: regular. Jordan? Um, one thing I found really interesting is the description of him and his appearance in, uh, in terms of wounds and other things that will suffer. Mm-hmm. It was the color of blood that the blood of the host the blood that stirs under an old wound that never really healed. And a terrible light poured from him like sweat, his voice circulated as flowing under it. His horns were as pale as scars. Yes, his horns is pale as scars. Uh,
0: what flows from him like sweat? A terrible light. Yes, light flowing from him like sweat. And his, his, his hide is the color of blood sluggishly moving under an old wound.
2: And interestingly, after uh, uh, the, uh, the unicorn is taken into a... Did you remember the name in uh, As a Unicorn? Well, What's As that? a Unicorn?
0: No, she was never gonna uh, I'm like, I should
2: know this, but I... I, I okay. The unicorn is going to leaves She
0: tears herself
2: and leaves, which I, I thought was really interesting to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good, good. What else, sir? He only goes out at night.
0: Good. He only goes out at night, though they sometimes... Feel him stirring during the day. Right? Liz, sleep. oh, sorry, yeah, exactly, He's stirring in his sleep. Good, Liz. Uh, I think like like a, fear. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, he can he can sense fear. He's connected to fear. Um, Haggard talks about that too. What does Haggard tell us about fear? The relationship between fear and the bowl, I was going to say something else like <laughs> Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that. Um, According to Haggard, the only reason what Bull goes
2: after unicorns specifically
0: is because Haggard asked it to. Yep, yep. Haggard commanded. So there's not, it is important to, 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 to note, um, at least based on what Haggard has told us, um, there is no intrinsic connection between the Red Bull and unicorns. Um, which I think is important because to this point that had not been clear. Um, it had seemed at least likely, if not probable, That, you know, the black bull was, (coughs) sorry, the red bull was some kind of, (laughs) that was really an accident, I'm telling you. Um, (laughs) It's, you know, some kind of intrinsic nemesis of unicorns. That it's, you know, some kind of opposite pole, that there's just this sort of natural antipathy or antagonism between the two of them. Um, And Hagrid tells us that's not the case. It's only going after, you know, it would have gone after anything else, right, squirrels, whatever, uh, if Hagrid had told him to. So it is absolutely obedient to Haggard. Why? According to Haggard, why is it obedient to him? You remember, it's,
1: it's He doesn't have fear. I, but I don't know. I can't remember if it's just that he doesn't have fear at all or he just doesn't fear the bull.
0: Yeah, Oh, well, it seems kind of both. This is this is on page 217. The red bull is no more mine than the boy is, and he does not eat, and he cannot be stolen. He serves anyone who has no fear... And I have no more fear than I have rest. So there we are. Serves anyone who has no fear. This itself is, a, is kind of interesting. Because, of course, when we think about the way that we saw the unicorn at the beginning, the sort of the, 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 the isolation of the unicorn at the beginning of the story, she doesn't seem very fearful. Right, and her seeking after the other unicorn <coughs> seems bold enough, um, but obviously she is afraid, and becomes more afraid when she's confronted by the red bull. Um, and I think it's you know there are times when the unicorn's description of her own isolation from the human experience, things like you know both cruelty and kindness, those are mortal things, right? She doesn't experience any of those things. She seems emotionally detached from everything else around her, even. The things which one might be tempted to say she loves, like her forest and her surroundings, even her connection with that, is not expressed in those kind of emotional terms. But fear, apparently, she does relate to. She is not separated from that. Um, that I think is that I think is one interesting connection we can make here with Haggard's description about the connection between the Red Bull and, and fear. Jordan? If
2: I could be permitted to make a brief non red non tangent, um, you, I have no fear than I have no more fear than I have resting or my because of hack states, and how whenever someone has but they claim of a great quality, usually uh, they, they, they complain about it, it's usually their own damn fault. And the hackers are like, we're so rich but unhappy. Yeah, because you're so rich and you're forcing yourselves to be, to be rich rather than being willing to spend money or willing to, uh, to, to have children and, and risk losing things. And he, he he's, has no fear. He also can't let himself has to keep that end. Yeah, yeah. And
0: there's uh, this sort of really uh, flat but potent irony to uh, Haggard's first statement when they meet him. Um, and that, that, that first scene with him in the hall. And he says, I keep nothing near me that does not make me happy. Right, he's just so obviously not made happy by anything, it seems. Right, but of course we learn later on that there is one thing that he keeps near him because it does make him happy. But we'll get back to that. More on the bowl first. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to leave the bowl. <clears throat> we talked about it's sweating a ter- that it's it's shedding a terrible light like sweat. What else do we know about its relationship to light?
1: Well, it doesn't like it because um, I think Schmenrich is the one who. Uh... During this fight, he realizes that the bull is eager to get um, the unicorn wherever the unicorn needs to go um, mm-hmm. because he doesn't want to be out in the sunlight.
0: Yeah, yeah. He doesn't like the sunlight. He doesn't care for daylight, which meant says. Now, of course, we've seen, as, as, as we pointed out before, he only comes out at night. This is not just a matter of him being nocturnal. He seems to be actually averse to sunlight. I love the uh, one of the phrases describing the bull that I really like. It talks about his raging ignorance. Um, this is in that first encounter with the unicorn. Um, he is he is blind, blind not just physically, but he just he doesn't care. He is this force, right? Haggard has sent him out after unicorns. He doesn't care about unicorns. He doesn't care about anything. What's the we get a link, we get a visual link between Haggard and the bull. Do you remember what it is? I feel a little bit unfair asking this kind of question. It's a very specific detail. This is like a deep trivia question at uh, a uh, level. But... Wait, is it the. Yes. Eyes. Yes. Okay. Haggard's eyes. What about Haggard's eyes? It's mentioned 12. The detail made me think that they were like the same, and then I was like, "Ah, oh, no, no." no. haggard's eyes are the same color as the bull's horns. Return. Haggard's eyes are the same color as the bull's horns.
1: What color? Hmm. I don't remember specifically. Does it say what color?
0: Do you remember the description? White scars. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're the ones that are like scars. Exactly. There's another passage that we haven't touched on. That is, we've touched on the things that are said about the bull during this encounter with the unicorn. Haggard's statement about the bull to Amalfia after the fact. We should also look at what the men in arms say about him. They give us some information. Page 193. Molly asks, what is the red bull to King Haggard? We do not know. The bull has always been here. It serves Haggard in his, as his army and his bulwark. It is his strength and the source of his strength. It must be his one companion as well, for I am sure he descends to its lair betimes, down some secret stair. But whether it obeys Haggard from choice or compulsion, and whether the bull or the king is the master, that we have never known. And then the, the youngest, who's only about 70, says... The red bull is a demon, and its reckoning for attending Haggard will one day be Haggard himself. Someone else insists that the clearest evidence showed that the bull was King Haggard's enchanted slave, and would-be until it broke the bewitchment that held it and destroyed its former lord. They began to shout and spill their soup. 193. Page 193. What patterns do we see here? There are ways we can start putting all this together. How are we supposed to be thinking about the Red What are we supposed to be associating with the Red Bull? We've seen some of these little individual things his relationship to light, the imagery that is used to describe his colors and his body, his size, his blindness, his raging ignorance, his relationship with fear, his. Unusual master servant relationship with Haggard, who has no more fear than rest. Uh, this might be really simplistic, but death. Death is, first of all, always a good answer in this book because okay? <laughs> 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 we're always yes, like, supposed you to be thinking saying. about that. Well, no, I mean that's certainly, especially when we think back to the, some of the stuff we were talking about last time with with mortality and immortality, and the, the way that that's always being brought up, of course, there's something there's something really evocative about the fact that the unicorn is being herded by the Red Bull when she is transformed into a mortal. Um, so, of course, we could look at this and say, of course, the Red Bull is thwarted, right? Um, sort of. There's a way of looking at this and saying that I actually, no, the Red Bull was... I mean, he's frustrated. The Red Bull thinks he's 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 ported, right? Um, As he's still down there rolling around uneasily thinking about the unicorn that got away. But of course, she is in the end shepherded into mortality and into death. And that does seem to be at least like what the Red Bull is doing. Now, when we learn what has happened to the unicorns, we hear that it's different. It's not that they've been made mortal. It's not that they've been killed. Um, But this is, I think, what leads... Molly, certainly, to say, not just in her first reaction, but later on, it would have been better if the Red Bull had just gotten her than for her to be transformed into a mortal she has. Um, So certainly, um, that escape from the Red Bull through her becoming mortal seems at least kind of ironic. And certainly, it's hard not to be thinking of death-like things if we associate the Red Bull in some way with death, and by the way, notice I'm trying to be careful uh, with my language here. I don't want to... It is my sense in reading this book, I know I talked before about sort of, you know, one's allegory alarms going off. Uh, I, they don't in this book. I, I think that what is happening here is a good deal too complicated to just start pigeonholing things. The black bull equals death, for instance. So I'm trying to resist talking about it in those terms, but I do think that Taylor is right to say that we are invited to associate the black bull with death, and to be thinking about these two things. And I think there are other things, potential, that we're invited to connect with the black bull. I I Can I say time. black bull again? I It's Sorry. <laughs> 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 okay. I guess I'm a little guilty because I this song do the whole, the, whole, the whole That's okay. I guess um,
1: I didn't see it as uh, I see the red the Red Bull being, I guess one one dimensional Cause what, what I tied it to basically was um, King Haggard's I guess <clears throat> desire. It, it's an instrument mm-hmm. used to take, yes. only for a person who has no fear, so, I mean, it seems to me like it's it's an instrument to be used, or I guess, since it only can be commanded by certain people, I guess, like, deservedly, incidentally, by by someone who, I don't know, just, just wants, and like King Hagrid, like, he just blindly I think wants, and which I, I sort of link the blindness to just a
0: sort of inconsequential mm-hmm. No, I agree, I mean I think the, the red bull is clearly in some sense an extension of King Henry himself right? and I think that we can see um, him acting in that way even the kinds of things that the um, that the men at arms are saying even though they don't all agree all the things they're saying about it don't all agree with each other um they are clearly convinced of this connection. Right? The two of them are linked. Um, the, the Red Bull is the power of King Haggard. His power will... He will be thrown down on the day the Red Bull leaves. And the Red Bull, according to Hagger, is the blind servant of his own desire. He does anything Haggard tells him to do, and he goes and seeks out anything that Haggard desires. And I... I do agree with you that his that is the bull's blindness does, I think, tell us something about Haggard. I think that we are permitted to think about that, especially or invited to think about that, especially with the link between the bull and Haggard's eyes. Um, it's, of course, it's not just that we're invited to connect these two characters by that link, but if Haggard's eyes are the color of the horns of the bull. What color are they? Almost white, probably. Yeah, almost white. Uh, in other words, he's gonna—he's gonna look himself like a blind person. Um, his eyes are not like a normal person's eyes. Um, and, so, and I think, and clearly, we can see the way that Haggard looks at the world is different, and he's blind to many things. In fact, it seems blind to almost everything. What else? Other thoughts, Jordan?
2: Um, one thing, uh, the, the primary association I have the all going with not identifying versus anyone things is solo, the the loss of wonder. Like I think it, it is a, 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 a sort of an emphasis point about the sense that it is actively, you know, hunting point but the sense that it's the whole opposite, in some ways very much alike, but stands for the exact opposite of what they stand for. And I think there's, there's evidence there. here. And she, she, she was in the beginning of chapter eight when were talking about the you know, unicorn had never been afraid of anything. <laughs> <clears throat> but she could be killed by a by a dragon or a chimera, by a serial killer But dragons could only kill her. They could never make her forget what she was, or themselves forget that even dead, she would still be more beautiful than any. The, the red bull doesn't kill about it unicorn. It's 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 in some ways symbolic that the Malay is creeping over the entire world. It's, it's the death of hope in many ways. Right.
0: Yeah. Hope I think is an important uh, concept in this book certainly. Um, and I agree. I, I mean I think that we can see the red bull in 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 several ways, working as a kind of polar opposite to the unicorn. Um, you think even of the way in which both of them are sort of isolated and emotionally detached, right? They're they're opposite in the sense that the unicorn is detached and is just a completely sort of free agent on her own, answering to nobody, considering nobody. The bull appears to be, again, if we're to believe Haggard, a complete slave of his with no real mind of its own at all. Um, And yet both of them are kind of isolated. Of course, there's there's a kind of symmetry in their you know, in, in their bodies, that is, you know, the sort of equine, um, sort of caprine, that is, goat-like uh, unicorn, and the and the and, and the bovine bull. You got you know, you got the, you got, you, know, you got the hooves and horns. When they confront each other, you've got the confrontation of similar and yet very different things. Um, the colors of her, of him associated with with death and wounds and scars. Uh, the kinds of things that she doesn't get and she doesn't have. So sure, I mean, I think that we can see we can see that functioning Um, and that he is the instrument not just to, not to destroy the unicorns as the unicorn has feared. Um, I hesitate to call her Amalthea. I want to be kind of precise about this. That is, I want to only refer to her as Amalthea in her human form. Um, because that was not her name. Um, Where'd she get that name?
2: Schmendrich.
0: Schmendrich made it up on the spot when he introduced them at the gates, right? So she never had that name uh, prior to becoming human. And she talks about it as this sort of division of herself, that there are two, sort of two persons that she remembers. One is this lady uh, that Lear is is wooing, um, and the other is this other memory that she has. Um... So I'm trying just to refer to her as the unicorn when thinking of her as her unicorn person. Um, Anyway, I want to move on to... uh, I I want to continue with Haggard and the unicorns, um, because we've sort of alluded to that a couple times, and we should certainly bring that out. Near the end of chapter 11, we get this, the confrontation between Haggard and Amalthea on the battlements overlooking the sea. I said before that we should continue to trace the sea imagery and that the sea would be important and now we can see that it in fact is quite central and there are good reasons why the unicorn even the description of her own color and her own person has been connected with sea foam from the beginning and now we see that metaphor kind of literalized not kind of literalized quite literalized here as the other unicorns are there in the sea as the tide is coming in and Haggard says he sees them? Schmendrick can't see them. Amalthea doesn't see them, I don't think. But Haggard says he does. What is his relationship with unicorns? What's Haggard's whole unicorn thing? Dory? is it just they make him happy? They make him happy. So he holds on to them. That's it. That's all he holds on to. Everything else he lets it go. But unicorns, because they make him happy. Can't you tell? I mean, he's got almost all the world's unicorns gathered there near his castle, so obviously he's like the happiest guy in the world, right? <laughs> Not so much. Okay?
1: It reminded me a lot of people who collect things, like collect dolls or baseball cards and. When they get one, they're really happy, but then slowly that happiness dies off, and each time they get one more, the happiness is a little less. So when maybe he, he saw them, I think he saw them like maybe in his childhood or when he was younger, They made he was like, oh, this thing is so beautiful, I, I must have it. But every time he gets another unicorn, it, becomes, it makes him less and less happy, and I think you can see that reflected in the way the castle is. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely
0: something... There's definitely something dragon-like in, uh, in Haggard's acquisitional attitude towards the unicorns. He has gathered what is like a dragon's horde of unicorns, and he's sitting. but he doesn't enjoy it. His language is very strong. This is page 221. I like to watch them. They fill me with joy. Again, can't you tell? I am sure it is joy. The first time I felt it, I thought I was going to die. There were two of them in the early morning shadows. One was drinking from a stream, and the other was resting her head on his back. I thought I was going to die. I said to the red bull, I must have that. I must have all of it. All there is, for my need is very great. So the bull caught them one by one. It was all the same to the bull. It would have been the same if I had demanded tumblebugs or crocodiles. He could only tell the difference between what I want and what I do not want. I am sure it was joy. The first time I felt it, I thought I was going to die. Go to the next page. I suppose I was young when I first saw them, King Haggard said. Now I must be old. At least I have picked many more things up than I had then, and put them all down again. But I always knew that nothing was worth the investment of my heart, because nothing lasts. And I was right. And so I was always old. Yet each time I see my unicorns, it is like that morning in the woods, and I am truly young in spite of myself, and anything can happen in a world that holds such beauty. That's very sweet. Right? Anything may happen in a world that holds such beauty. Her response? Her response is king is mad. (laughs) How? Why? I guess because it would seem
1: so completely unlike him, like the fact that it's ironic that he's saying, this makes me happy, well nothing makes him happy, and I think she's picked up on the weirdness of this, and also she's got enough. Humanness in her—that this sounds really strange to her, anyway. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How? How is he using youth and age in his speech? What do we see about what the connections he is making between youth and age and the unicorn? I
1: think he's using age in as his perception of the world like he said he and so I was always old because he knew that nothing ever lasts but when he looks at the unicorn he feels that he is truly young as though he can feel that something lasts that there's something there's something there's some sort of there's beauty that that there's or there's there's beauty out there that is truly stable and lasting and that's what
0: it's the transitory nature of joy that bothers him. Why unicorns? Because they're immortal, and they don't change. What she had at the beginning, what we saw in her forest, its unchangingness, the way that she not only herself was unchanging uh, and not affected by time, but also seemed, in a sense, to insulate the stuff around her from time and the passing of time, um, this is, in one sense, what he wants. But what do we see in his castle? Is his castle timeless? You think it be the most timeless place on earth, right? All those unicorns.
2: Man. Oh, well, if anything, his castle seems unduly afflicted by time. It's halfway to being a ruin all Already, you know, it's already, it falls down. It seems like it's already been abandoned and sort mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Even the people,
0: right? Like the octogenarian men at arms. Everything about it is old and decayed.
2: <coughs> it's kind of like each one has stability. He believed that he was going last forever. He should have that. And he sees that Adam a Elizabeth uniform that never changed. He kind of wants that I want to to.
0: And the madness would seem to rest, the madness that she's accusing him of would seem to rest in the conflict between these things. Right? Him, Haggard, of all people, standing there saying, I am full of joy. And saying, Ah, like youth and lasting beauty, our mind. Surrounded as he is surrounded. I mean, there's this huge disjunction between life as he actually lives it. He has no more fear than he has rest. And this thing he's describing, this is not what unicorns do. Uh, That is, they're not doing what they do. You know, on the one hand, as I said, it seems like it should work, right? Given what we saw from her forest, you'd think that gathering—I don't even know how many unicorns into one place—you know—should make this pretty cool, special, beautiful, young
1: Disneyland.
0: It's <laughs> just like Disneyland, <laughs> except less commercially viable. Um, <laughs> maybe not. You know, so maybe maybe more. No. Uh, But, yeah. But it does, not in fact, we see something almost like the opposite of that.
2: Matt? Well, there's I mean, multiple problems with his approach there. First of all, since he's not actually gathering unicorns in his kingdom, he's gathering them just outside of his kingdom, in the ocean. So if if anything, he's just just making sure there are fewer unicorns available to spread their (laughs) so we've the unicorns <laughs> or these inhuman things, <laughs> actually having them roaming about as kingdom would probably be highly dangerous, as we're really just
0: a bad idea all around. Well, they're not roaming about. You know, they're uh, contained. In turn. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're caged. They're caged. What does the castle make the unicorn think of? In her dreams? She brings this up a couple times. Whom, whom does she mistake Mir for when she meets him on the stairs? She thinks he's somebody else. Um,
1: I'm trying to remember. It's Hayuk, right? Rook. Rook, Rook. Yeah. Really yeah. From Is the she, carnival.
0: Yeah, she mistakes him for Rook. There are several times that we see this connection being made. This page 205. We get this juxtaposition twice. In case we miss it the first time. "'About halfway down to 5 "'The Lady Amalthea stared at him through the gloom, "'putting out a hand, but drawing it back before she touched him. "'Who are you?' she whispered. "'Are you Rook?' "'I'm Lear,' he answered, suddenly frightened. "'Don't you know me?' "'But she backed away, and it seemed to the prince "'that her steps were as flowing as an animal's, "'and that she even lowered her head in the way of a goat or a deer. "'He said, "'I'm Lear.' "'The old woman,' said the Lady Amalthea. "'The moon went out. Ah! "'She shivered once, and then her eyes recognized him.' But all her body was still wild and watchful, and she came no nearer to him. You were dreaming, my lady, he said, finding nightly speech again. I would that I might know your dream. I have dreamed it before, she answered slowly. I was in a cage, and there were others, beasts in cages, and an old woman. But I will not trouble you, my lord prince. I have dreamed it many times before. She brings this up again, or she thinks about this again. Uh, when she is talking to Haggard on the parapet. It's page 223. <clears throat> the tumult of the sea filled her head, together with Prince Lear's singing and the blubbering death wail of the man named Rook. Probably not the juxtaposition Prince Lear would be hoping for in that particular moment. <laughs> "'King Haggard's grey face hung over her like a hammer, muttering, "'It must be so. I cannot be mistaken. Yet her eyes are as stupid as his, "'as any eyes that never saw unicorns, never saw anything but themselves in a glass. "'What cheat is this? How can it be? There are no green leaves in her eyes now.' "'Then she did close her eyes, but she shut in more than she kept out. "'The bronze-winged creature with a hag's face swung by, laughing and prattling, "'and the butterfly folded its wings to strike.' The red bull moved silently through the forest, pushing the bare branches aside with his pale horns. She knew when King Haggard went away, but she did not open her eyes. The harpy, the butterfly, and the red bull. She thinks so. And where where does she picture the red bull here? The red bull moved silently through the forest, pushing the bare branches aside with his pale horns. More on that. This is not just the Red Bull. What image are we given here? Sort
1: of the Red Bull in her
0: forest. In a forest, probably her forest. But Bare branches. Winter, or destruction. Yeah, her forest in winter, which it wasn't before. She only sees winter when she leaves. So... Haggard's Castle, Mommy Fortuna's Carnival. We get a third connection too, just in case we miss these two. Through Schmendrick, who complains that he's having to go on day by day performing these stupid tricks just like he used to do in the carnival. Same tricks every day, same gig. Yeah. Compare and contrast Mommy Fortuna and King Haggard.
1: They are both sort of trying to house or contain their own doom. Not only um, did Haggard take in Lear, but he's also um, controlling the Red Bull, who everybody is saying is is either, you know, they have this weird relationship where the Red Bull is under his command, kind of like the animals at the Midnight Carnival, um, particularly the harpy, but he also has... More power, and he has his own power, and he's going to turn on Haggard one day. And his very precariously perched castle is going to tumble into the sea.
0: Yeah, and his confidence, Haggard's confidence, we can see as that is, you know, when he talks about his relationship with the Red Bull and how absolutely it obeys him, should I think recall to us the overconfidence of Mommy Fortuna uh, and her ability to control the Harpy. Um, good, and I agree uh, uh, with Prince Lear. I don't want to lose that too. That was also a really great point. Um, he has brought his doom in King like Kingdom. Remember, this is the comment that Schmendrick made, right? Bringing him into the in, into the circus was one of the one of the foolish mistakes that she had made, um, and that he helps to undo her, um, just as Lear is going to help uh, to undo Haggard. So, yeah, I think we can see. You can see an interesting parallel there too. Good. Uh, in
2: contrast, I think the reason that Mommy Fortuna is that does her stuff at such a smaller scale than agger is because she's really more aware of, of the mistakes she's making. Like we were discussing a lot, that she seems convinced that the army is going to break out, but she sees this government. and since since she's more self-aware and she knows what she's doing, wrong, she tends to. Even the just this little carnival, instead of trying to do a whole vast unicorn enclosure
0: project. <laughs> right, right. Certainly the cages, the the unicorn cages, the one small local one that Mommy Fortuna had and the much larger uh, unicorn holding facility that Haggard has apparently arranged. Um, yeah, certainly, certainly parallel there. And I you can also think of another big contrast. Yeah, Mac. What your point suggests is the focus of the two of them. Mommy Fortuna cages these things, whether they're real or illusory, and shows them to people. Right. Her her whole point is making money by displaying these things to people. Haggard is all about keeping it to himself. Not only does he not care, not only does he not display it to other people, he doesn't want anybody else. To see it. It is entirely for his own benefit. In a sense, it seems almost to shut, he, he wants to shut it away, uh, to, to shut them away from everybody else. Um, yeah, so certainly very different, very different focuses there, but I think we can see, well, uh, certainly there's more than we could think about and talk about with Mommy Fortuna and King Haggard, sort of different aspects of what are clearly, I mean, these are the two characters that were given in this book who are plainly antagonists. You know, these are clearly the bad guys. The Red Bull, of course, is the sort of the big overarching nemesis, in a sense. But he's, he, he's blind, right? I mean, he's, uh, in a sense, it's not his fault. It's King Haggard and Mommy Fortuna who really illustrate um, sort of these these negative things, these dark things, which the unicorn and Schmendrick and in some ways, especially Molly, are sort of running counter to and moving in a different direction from. Um, Molly is a char- the character in the story that we've talked about least, that I regret most talking about least. Um, she is, I think, a really fascinating character and becomes more fascinating as time goes on. Um, I remember when I first read the book that I was really surprised when she became a major character. I mean, her introduction with Captain Culley's band was, you know, she seemed like such a minor character. Um, and then the moment when she saw the unicorn and came along with Schmendrick on, uh, you know, on their journey, I, I remember when I first read it, I was surprised, as, I was as surprised as Schmendrick was uh, when that happened. And then as her character grows and develops and sort of the... The, the location that she comes to occupy especially in this section of the book that we read for today with her in her kitchen and the men-at-arms the, the men-at-arms coming in uh, and the cat speaking its cryptic prophecy to her um, and her relationship her, her unique relationship both with Amalthea and with the unicorn prior to her change um, really mm-hmm. position her I think as a, a, a fascinating, kind of, uh, is it quite fair to say? Uh, what the heck, I'll say it. A fascinating kind of spokesperson for the mortal perspective. At least she has a very different kind of mortal perspective um, certainly than most of the other characters that we see. Um, so I, I, I I wish we could talk about her more, but I've already kept you late in the brief few comments I've made about Molly now. So I'll let you go. We did not talk about Amalthea and Prince Lear and Prince Lear's heroics, which I find entirely delightful. Um, I hope to get back to them next time. See you on Wednesday.
1: That's all for this episode. In the next episode, Professor Olson will complete his discussion of Peter Beagle's The Last Unicorn, chapters 12 through 14. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.